We can do many things with writing. Our imaginations can fly off to faraway places. Myth and parable invite us to explore our deep human questions. Journalism and science writing seek to inform us about a present tangible reality. Fiction and narrative let us walk in each other's shoes. Most importantly, our writing can bring us together in our common humanity to work out our problems. This is Logos-ish. Today, we speak to author and editor Jessica Brody about the joy of writing and the human element in each of us. Hey guys, welcome back to Logos-ish. We have another exciting episode for you today. I am joined this afternoon by our one and only Brian Betcher. We're very excited to have him on with us. Unfortunately, Sarah and Garrett are otherwise occupied for recording this week, so you're going to just have to be satisfied uh, with Brian, myself, and of course, Brian's glorious mustache. So, Brian, how are you doing today, man? So I am still homeless. That's an ongoing journey and there's really no end in sight. So that's okay. You know, trying to do just a new normal to to use a well too often used phrase. You know, I'm really happy that you're embracing this lifestyle. I am a little disappointed that you didn't use the word unprecedented though in your description of your life right now. Well, since uh, it's been the case for over uh, 120 days at this point, it's, uh, you know, not unprecedented anymore. I'm really torn uh, by the use of that phrase because, you know, in some sense, every new day is unprecedented. There's, There's nothing like it from the days before. But also, you know, a lot of things that we've experienced have something that we might call quote unquote precedent. I'm doing the same, though. Uh, I am not quite homeless, but we are uh, currently hanging out in Atlanta right now at my mother-in-law's house, which is why the sound may sound a little bit different. But uh, we are kind of getting on, hanging out, enjoying some good, healthy, you know, uh, frequent family time, seeing all the people that we don't normally get to see, and it's just been really good. It's always balm for the soul to kind of hang out, work remotely in a different location. Well, let's go ahead and introduce our guest today. Today we are joined by Jessica Brody. She's the editor of the South Carolina United Methodist Advocate, as well as an author, speaker, writing coach, editor, YouTuber. I'm running out of the things on the list, but she does it all, folks. Uh, Her focus is on storytelling ministry. That's the best way to wrap it up. Jessica, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm great. I'm really happy to be here. Awesome. That's good to hear. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So I have been writing and reading, I think since I was, well, my first toy was a typewriter, an old typewriter that my mom just gave me and just put, sometimes there was paper in it and sometimes there wasn't. And that just ignited something in me. And between that and the mound of books, I was just a a bookworm for my whole life. And I've always just 
been fascinated with stories and storytelling. And I am really an awful person at telling stories verbally. My husband likes to call me Jessica Overshare because I just can't stop once I start. And um, so that's why I think writing has always been a really good fit for me because then I can really think through and have, you know, have a good filter on and just let it pour out, you know, so writing is always really good. But I love the intersection of ministry and being able to tell stories and and use stories to help people understand deep spiritual concepts and and draw closer to God and learn to love people in a different and deeper way. And so from, I mean, I have a, a journalism degree and a master's in English and I've I've done everything from teach to run a small town newspaper and today I a few decades in I'm running the advocate newspaper for the United Methodist Church in South Carolina but I'm also in all of my spare time just collecting stories telling stories and just using words whether that's on paper on a computer screen uh, podcasts, YouTube videos, things like that, just to kind of just get conversation going about spiritual topics, particularly Christian topics, because I'm a Christian. Um, but anything that is deeper and of the heart is is really, and of the heart and of the soul and speaking to eternal life and that this world is so much more than what we see on the surface. That's really just what fascinates me. So I could talk all day about writing. That's good. Grammar is a huge sort of focus in our house. It's one of the things that Sarah and I get to like argue about back and forth. We're currently arguing about uh, the distinction between who and whom. Uh. Um, I'm, I'm reading Steven Pinker's book, Sense of Style, writing for the 21st century. And so, you know, he kind of has a slightly different take on, you know, what you might have learned in elementary school. And and so we're currently discussing the merits of his opinions about who and whom, yeah. uh, which I won't go into detail about. And I can see Brian just <laughs> rolling his eyes. Like please, please not. Please don't. Uh, I, I haven't read that, but I would love to. And I used to teach grammar. And so I love, I just love all that stuff. It's so fun. It's a pretty fun book. His premise is that better writing is writing that works with the way our brains work, you know, which <laughs> seems like a kind of duh sort of thing. But it's really just about learning how to organize words, thoughts, and various sorts of things using traditional grammar, but structured in a way that says this is something that your brain should be able to easily take in and process and then turn around and create some kind of language that can come right back and really facilitate communication. I like that. I'm all about that. You know, in fact, I like to do that in my own writing is, is I love to take really complicated things and try to make them accessible for everyone and, and just everyday talk, you know, whether that's talking about grammar or talking about matters of faith, you know, if, if we can all just come to that level playing ground and, and really just dive in together, I think that's really important. So that's why we started the podcast to make, you know, faith of it, uh, accessible to everybody. Yay. Jessica, can you just talk about some of the general like topics that have been challenging to kind of make accessible for you as, as someone who's a author and editor and things like that? 
Absolutely. So I write about all things. Um, I don't, I don't really put a lot of boundaries on what I write about as long as it just in some way impacts faith. So that can be anything from big, you know, church denomination, theological issues such as um, homosexuality and, and um, racial justice, social justice, things like that, which can be difficult law, you know, legal cases um, can be really hard for people to wrap their minds around understanding you know, just just nitty gritty uh, verbiage and and why there's differences over certain nuances of language and translations to things like is it even important to read the Bible today? You know, a lot of times, um, some of my favorite challenges as a blogger have been, and in fact, one of the reasons I started blogging was because I, I was surrounded by a lot of people that really felt you needed to have gone to seminary to really understand the meat of scripture. And you know, really for me, the Bible is a big love letter from start to finish. And there's so much beauty in there. And, and it's so accessible to all of us. You just have to figure out a translation that works with you and pray about it and persist and all of that. And there really aren't any limits. But I think that people put these self-imposed limits on themselves. And we create walls that often are not there. And so we think we can't understand the Bible or we don't really know what the Israelites were going through back then. So we can't possibly understand this particular issue in today's context. And, and they miss out because they're looking at things so intricately and making things so complicated. They, they miss out on the simplistic universal messages that are there. And to me, if you just clear away all that clutter and really focus on the uniting pieces of whatever it is in scripture, you can really see the messages more clearly. And so I love doing that, whether that is a, a blog post about faith and getting over your past or, or mental health challenges to some of the things I've been writing for The Advocate about divisions over sexuality and differences about uh, racial disparities and things like that. So we often make things so complicated and, and they're often not. And I also think that talking about difficult subjects sometimes is very scary for people. And we all bring our own biases to the table sometimes, personal biases, you know, because of our upbringing or, or walk in life or where we've been or who we've known. And we sometimes forget that people are just people and we're all approaching this with typically the best intentions and, you know, typically the best intentions. And so, and so, you know, knowing that and giving grace to everyone who's in this and knowing we're all in this together, I think that just brings a, a nice dynamic to the table where we can really understand topics. So. Yeah, I really love that. You know, our, our theme last week was all about dealing with bias and approaching things with humility and taking that time to treat life more as a conversation rather than sort of a, a sort of bedrock hardline like perspective that, you know, you have to prove over somebody else's. So um, I'm curious about how your work at The Advocate has 
helped you to tell these stories? You know, my work at The Advocate, I've been here 10 years already, which is just bizarre to me that a decade has already passed. But it's helped me grow so much as a writer and a storyteller because I, I see The Advocate as you know, if you don't know about The Advocate, The Advocate has been in existence since 1837. So it is currently in existence, the oldest newspaper in Methodism that's still out there. And it's, and it's still active and thriving and it's there in print and online and all of that. But when I came on board, I tried really hard to have it be a publication that is place for everyone, where everyone could come to and you could talk about various issues and dialogue about things in a safe place place. So being that sort of moderate voice or that sort of person in the middle has allowed me to try to stretch myself to be as open-minded as I can and understand perspectives from a lot of different people. Today, I am blessed to have friends of so many different viewpoints, politically, theologically. I mean, it just, it runs the gamut. And because I genuinely feel like I know and really like these people, even if their views differ from mine initially, I find myself wanting to kind of meet them in, in the middle. That's been really healthy for me as a storyteller in my other areas of life too, because, you know, there's a lot of difference in the world. And when we can just, you know, when we can strive for that that uni unified center, I think that's that's healthy and important. Uh, even things like mental health, I'm very, very passionate about mental health and bringing awareness to mental health issues and, and things like depression and suicide and all of that, which is a lot of times not talked about because it's uncomfortable. But when we start talking about things and we do it with that sort of voice of unification or moderation or and just you know, striving to be peaceful about it and open-minded about it, then we can talk in a healthier way and learn more from it, if that makes sense. Oh, it absolutely does. Um, so I'm a mental health first aid trainer. And so one of the biggest things that we end up teaching in the mental health first aid program is that every it's everyone's responsibility to raise the conversation for mental health. Uh, so I wanna express gratitude that you're doing that um, because that is so important just to uh, eliminating the stigma will help people to seek the help that they actually need. Yeah. Um, and so that doesn't help, uh, that doesn't happen without great storytellers and things like that. So thank you so much for doing that. I have a question and I imagine that it is a difficult season to be in a United Methodist publishing anything um, mm -hmm. because it seems like there are particularly around issues revolving around general conferences and things like that. What is it like as an editor um, when there are vastly different opinions on what should happen in the future of the church and how do you manage that? I try to, it can be hard, honestly, and I try really hard not to personally involve my heart in any politics. I try not to take anything personally. Almost every time after we go to press, I usually get a grumpy phone call or an email or 17, you know, from someone saying, why did you run the story about that church being conservative? Why did you run that story about that church passing that new resolution on gay marriage? Or why, you know, why did you do this? And why can't we get more play for my side or this side? And everything's so polarized. Polarized, sorry, I'm stumbling over my words. But I usually try to just hear what they're saying and they want to, 
I see it as everyone wants to have their voice and everyone wants to be at the table. And everyone wants to talk. And so I take myself out of the equation and I say, you know, this is a platform where we can all dialogue. It's not about me. All I can do is be a conduit and provide opportunity for people. No, I don't want to be a place where there's hate and misinformation spread at all. That's not what we're doing. We're a religious newspaper. That shouldn't be about that. But, you know, you do have uh, people pulling at you from either side and, and there's always going to be the perception that you're doing something wrong. Most of the time I have people call me up and they believe I am of their political or theological persuasion and they talk to me about things and I'm just listening to them and I might not even agree with them. And then I hang up and I get another phone call from somebody on the total opposite spectrum and they're doing the same thing. So it's it's a weird cloak of anonymity and, and just hiding of self when you're the editor because I don't like, I mean, I was trained as a community journalism newspaper editor in a small town that your personal politics and your personal feelings don't come into play. I'm always go, I'm a human being, so I have a heart for people. And I'm sure my biases show in some places, but I try really hard not to bring that to the table and instead just let the paper be this place for Christian people to, to just talk and share news and exchange information and just put things out there. Where else are they going to do that in this way? And so it's it's been a lesson for me in, in humility. It's been a lesson for me in grace. And it's really been a great lesson on just getting over myself and focusing on on Christ, which is the most important thing. And that has served me really well over the past 10 years. I started 2020. I was feeling so, uh, I guess you could say burdened in the soul. I was really dreading the season that we were coming up upon. And there was so much angst and anguish and so much emotion and it was it it was so big and overwhelming at times and it was it was a challenge every day and every time i went to press on the paper to be able to write without feeling that pressure and uh, it was a lot of work to separate the personal from you know from everything else and then as the year evolved and we got this time of this unprecedented pandemic and all of this uh you know it's it's been good i think for the church in a way too because we've gotten a break from those high emotions and we've been able to step back and realize you know what there are more important things in the world going on this is not the only important thing that the church is doing or talking about so that's a good thing i think yeah, I 100% I agree that it has been a nice uh, respite for the church to not be overly concerned about general conference. We only had to worry about a pandemic instead. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it has been a bit of a relief in that sense, uh, even though there are much bigger concerns going on. I also really think it's an interesting point that you talk about trying to like, when people are kind of on both sides of that, of the, you know, whatever divide you're facing and you're kind of in the middle, because I have also found that every time like one of my church members comes and talks to me, they assume that I agree with them like automatically. John, I don't know if that's the case for you, but church people always think that I agree with them and I often do not. Um, <laughs> I actually famously don't talk about 
hot button polarizing positions in terms of my personal attitudes on things because I'm trying to make sure I can be everyone's pastor. And that doesn't mean we don't talk about polarizing issues, but it means that I don't necessarily make a choice that is going to alienate people from me. My goal is, you know, typically to communicate in a healthy way and a healing way that gets us all to where we need to be going. And uh, because of that, I actually think most people assume that I am on the opposite side from them rather than on the, the same side as them. Who even knows? You know, the communicating on this kind of stuff is these decisions are so nuanced sometimes that, you know, it really it, it takes a lot of effort and a lot of humility and a lot of grace and seeking a lot of forgiveness. I'm curious, by the way, what we're alluding to is the General Conference of the United Methodist Church, which is the global conference of the United Methodist Church. And they've been really arguing about the church's stance on gay marriage and gay ordination for years and years and years. And we're going to do a series on that later next year. But I'm curious, Jessica, how your experience at a religious newspaper, as opposed to a, a sort of typical community paper, what is the difference between the two? That's interesting. I, I ran a community weekly newspaper. Let me back up and say I'm originally from Miami, Florida. And so all my training for journalism and everything was down there. But when I went into journalism officially as my career, I moved to a really small mountain community, started as a reporter. A year later, I was news editor. And then the a year later, I was, I think, the full editor. And so it was this very small town where this newspaper was the only source of news for the town other than the Asheville or the Greenville bigger TV stations and bigger newspapers that weren't typically covering news in that small town. And so because of that, you always had to walk with so much grace and so much peace and, and really be, in my opinion, to be a good editor, a unifying force in that community, which I see in The Advocate a lot of similarities. You know, uh, your behavior, your opinions couldn't really impact the coverage of the news, the things that, you know, it, it just, you had to be almost, uh, it was it was as though I was living in the town, but always I had a foot out so I was straddling two worlds. And sometimes in religious journalism, I feel like it's the same way. You know, I am my own person. I'm a, I'm a woman of faith and, and great belief, but I'm also the advocate of a newspaper that is a tool, a resource tool and a news tool and a communications ministry for other people that has nothing to do with me. So the more I can take me out of it and, and try to be an instrument of God, the better the readers are served. So in both of those, I would say they, they, both, they both have that in common. Some differences is when I was running the weekly newspaper, A, it was a weekly. So I was 
constantly at county commission meetings or getting calls to go from the fire chief and uh, about a big fire out on a mountain somewhere and having to go be everywhere and cover everything and and had a larger staff and had a big team here at the advocate it's it's myself and my assistant editor Allison and so it's really just the two of us. We have a board of directors, uh, a largely visionary board, but it's really just the two of us. And of the two of us, Allison handles mostly ad designs and bookkeeping and things like that. So I, I do the website and the emails and the, the coverage and photography, you know, and, and all the other, the social media stuff and, and then all the stories and the design of the paper as well. So it's, uh, it's more hands-on, but I like that. You know, I hunger for that. I, I really like every aspect of of journalism and storytelling generally. It's not just at The Advocate. I mean, in my own work, too, I wasn't just content to, I love writing fiction. I love reading fiction, you know, and so I don't just write fiction, though. I, I find myself writing devotions and you know, freelancing for Christianity.com or Crosswalk and also maybe starting a YouTube channel or collaborating and doing podcasts and things like that. And so it's just any way that you can get involved in that story and tap into the creative spirit. I think for me, that ignites my passion. And I think today we have so many, I'm going off on a tangent, sorry, but I get really excited about this. But today we have so many ways we can get information. You know, it's not just a newspaper. It's not just a book. There's video and and podcasts and pictures and, and just so many neat ways to tell the story. And so, you know, I happen to be married to a very creative man who, you know, there are times on a Saturday when what we do for fun is go hiking and bring the cameras. And so that like feeds the spiritual growth and then I get a blog post out of it and there might be a scene for a fiction novel and there might be some angle for the advocate. So it's all really neat. And I think to get back to your original question, the two worlds of, of community journalism and religious journalism, they're more alike than they are different. I think just the, the differences are smaller things. Yeah, so the major theme that we keep running across is this idea of bringing people together. Can you share with us maybe a specific story of a time when uh, that was, you know, kind of a, a significant feature of the story that you were telling? A lot of times, you know, a lot of times, for example, when I lived in the mountains, it was a largely mom and pop store resort community and horror upon horrors, Lowe's was going to, Lowe's hardware store was going to open a, a little satellite store there. And people were so worried that this was going to mean that this town would be you know, very touristy from now on, and it would would just be, you know, the, the, the worst thing possible. And so by, by shedding light into the matter and featuring other voices from both sides and, and having letter, you know, welcoming letters to the editor and op-eds and, and things like that, talking to Lowe's, talking to the people in the community, just bringing all the voices in, people were able to see, okay, all these fears I have are just fears. Let's really look at the reality of this. And when you shine light into a situation and all voices are heard, we grow, we learn more, we grow as people. I mean, 
the views, for example, that I had at 18, they've evolved to where I am in my 40s now, and they'll keep evolving. I mean, as a Christian, I'm growing every day. I think we're all growing every day in how we approach life. And so, you know, at that time, it helped the community to, to run those stories because something that was so scary to a lot of people and seemed like the worst thing in the pop, you know, in the whole world that could possibly happen really wasn't. It didn't end up coming. It was fine. But at the end of the day, people felt better because they were able to talk it out. And the same thing with the advocate, you know, we had a lot of issues where, you know, there were, for example, when we had the new structure for connectional ministries about, I guess that was eight years ago, maybe. Uh, it's been a while. You know, people were so worried about what that would possibly do to change this or that. Or when we had, or actually the flood, when the flood happened, people were so worried about everything, or they're always so worried about how a situation is going to go down. And then you start running stories and you start talking to people and you start saying, you know, how can we shine light into this? What is going on that's so scary for people? What can we, what questions can we answer? And you tend to find that the more you explore and the more questions that you answer, it helps people understand and go deeper and relax a little bit and, and just become more open to meeting the other side. And they grow through the process. The whole community of readership grows through the process and it's a healthy thing. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. And you know, I, one of the things that I've found in talking to other people, especially people who have different viewpoints than me, is, is often one, they're a lot more nuanced than I might want to believe in my head. But two, people are often also significantly more resilient than we sometimes portray ourselves to be and others to be. And with that comes, I think, a confidence that having the conversation then can produce some kind of good fruit and positive outcomes. Uh, it can be painful along the way, but... You know, sometimes that's what you need in order to really let the healing start. A good metaphor, I think, would be like an infected wound that, you know, needs to be opened up and cleaned so that it can heal properly. That is a great metaphor. Yes, absolutely. So one question that comes to mind, and this is kind of totally off the wall, but like what advice would you give to people getting ready to go home for Thanksgiving <laughs> and be around uh, friends and family, especially friends and family with very diverse, you know, political opinions or different kinds of, you know, religious perspectives and things like that. I think one huge misconception that I keep finding over and over again, even though we've, we've all talked about this and this seems to me to just be common sense at this point, but it's not, is that a lot of people on one side seem to feel that the people on the other side are wrong or mean or not looking at it deeply or, or something like that. They don't realize that as passionately as they feel and as well-researched as, as, you know, as, as, as heavily they've researched their side and as deep as they go and as much from the heart it is and as as part of their soul that it is on their side of the perspective of whatever issue it is whether we're talking you know race relations or politics or sexuality or anything else the people who who don't believe the same things we do 
usually come to the table with the exact same passion and research and feeling. You know, those who, who don't, I guess those who believe on the opposite side aren't necessarily believing that because they're mean jerks who are ignorant and haven't studied it. You know, they usually care so earnestly and they have these really, really good faith-rooted reasons for believing what they believe. And so we can't assume that if someone disagrees with us, it's because they're pig-headed and naughty or have no morals. You know, it's not black and white. It is so gray. And so understanding we are all people first and it is okay. And frankly, we are human beings. I'm not sure that any of us really knows the exact right solution to anything. What we believe to be true is what we believe to be true. It's not necessarily what God has set for us. So, you know, we we need to do the best we can as human beings and relate to other human beings on that level playing field and know that we're all approaching things from maybe a different place and we have different cultural backgrounds and different other different experiences that influence how we feel and it's okay to not agree with your mom about politics it's okay that you know aunt jenny is voting for that person or thinks these people are evil it's it's okay you know you can still love aunt jenny if she disagrees with you but you know Maybe if if those conversations start coming up and things start getting heated, say, you know what, let's talk about something else. You know, let's talk about some other things or, you know, and and just let it go. Because uh, at the end of the day, what we have in common is more important than what we have that divides us. So can you tell us a little bit about the books that you've written? Yeah, absolutely. I've written a couple of devotionals for the Advocate Press. I've also written, let's see, I'm working on my one, two, well, I wrote my first book at 21. It's called Milltown. It's awful. And then uh, I have another, another book, but then a few years ago, I was driving to work and I happened to glance, it was really early morning, and I happened to glance out at a field while I was driving, and I felt God speak into me and gave me the entire plot for a book. I had never written a a Christian novel. And this was a, I typically write contemporary or what's called women's fiction, where it might have a little romance in it, but largely it's, it's a, it's a survival story. It's a story of healing and it's, it's rooted in those things. So it's, it was a really, amazing story that I just saw like it was a movie and I wrote it. And so I have that book and I'm currently agented by uh, Bob Hostetler of the Steve Lobby Agency, which is a Christian literary agency. And he is shopping out that book as well as its successor, which is called Tangled Roots, um, which is kind of set in the same town and different characters in the same universe. And so he's shopping those to some, some publishers right now. So we're, we're kind of waiting for that because they're a package and I'm writing the third one now. It's called Hidden Seeds. But basically it's about this fictional town in South Carolina where people have found themselves. And it's about 
authentic Christians and the things that they go through. So the first book was about a woman who had moved to this small town and she'd been um, depressed and it, it opens where she's in a hospital bed after swallowing some pills and trying to take her own life. And she moves to this small town of Dahlia, South Carolina. She takes a job at the small town newspaper and starts to rebuild her life. And she encounters a young boy who is so different from her. And he's African-American, filled with faith, and she has none. And they start this friendship. She starts doing an article on him. And it turns out that he has a secret of his own. He's being abused. And so uh, the two of them together have their own healing process. And, and at the, by the end, well, I don't want to give away too much, but there is healing. And then the second book, it plays with a another character from that world, but all the other characters from the first book also play in, but a, a woman who is engaged to be married and had grown up in a very dysfunctional home, uh, alcoholic and, and all of that. Her older brother was always her kind of her savior and her support, but he ended up committing a hate crime and being incarcerated and he's been in prison and she went a different path got a full college scholarship and has started her life over in this, this town far away. And she's engaged to be married. And then she gets a phone call that her brother's being released from prison and he needs to come stay with her as a condition of his parole. The only problem is she has not told anyone, including her fiance, about her brother, about her dysfunctional past or any of this. She's, she's started a clean slate. And so this is about how she is able to, to come to terms with her own feelings about this. And her brother's become a Christian while incarcerated, which she does not believe for a minute. So it, it explores, you know, what is a Christian? What does it mean to live a Christian life? What does it mean to follow Jesus in an authentic way? Even when you've done things that are so wrong and evil, and, and what does it mean to be that new creation in Christ, like in 2 Corinthians 5? And what does it mean to leave your past in the past and how can you do that and move on to a new life and you know so so it just looks at all those issues so it's it's really fun for me uh to explore those things because i think those are all things that we we deal with in real life you know i i have so many friends that just can't get over the past you know and i've been there too you know i mean i i had a bit you know, of dysfunction in my life, you know, we've all been there. And these are all things that we face. And sometimes we can get the help we need and live great lives because of school or church or the people in our lives. But sometimes it takes reading a novel that plays with those issues to seep into our brain and embrace someone else's story to really make peace with our own past and get to where we need to be emotionally, mentally, spiritually, wherever. So I, th I think uh, just like Jesus used parables for a reason, sometimes stories can really hit people on a level that is so intimate that only through those stories can we really start to crave the change that we need to make. Yeah, that's really powerful. And you've, you've done some nonfiction work that yeah. plays with a lot of those same themes, right? Yeah, I have. And in fact, I'm also working, I, I'm playing around with a book about 
doing a nonfiction book on step families um, from a Christian perspective because I'm a stepmother and um, I'm, I'm remarried. But when I became a stepmother, I realized there was a definite lack of material on how to be a good step parent. You know, how do you embrace this new family in a Christian way? Everything I heard was, you know, oh, how do I deal with this? You know, and more from a negative perspective. And it's not about that. There's a, a real blessing to it. And so I, I'm, I'm really exploring that too. Blended Christian style is sort of the working style uh, title, but, you know, I think there are a lot of things that we go through in life and, you know, it's, there's no script for it. So it would be helpful to have books like that along for the ride to help us in our journey. Yeah, I really wish Sarah was here today because, you know, that has been sort of a theme in her family. There have been several folks who've been divorced and remarried and they've unified their families and their kids and had to kind of work that out a piece at a time and figure out, you know, what is this new family life going to look like? What is this new environment going to look like? You know, how do we become, uh, you know, a, a group that loves and supports each other when we're kind of all, in some sense, all being a little bit thrown together uh, at the same time? And so I, I guess I, in some sense, I can both relate to the material that's like, how do I deal with this? Because, you know, it can be stressful. But at the same time, I agree with you that there is uh, a huge amount of beauty in that intentional construction of family that's not just dependent on the fact that you're genetically related, that you share the same set of chromosomes or something like that. In fact, there's so much in the gospel and, and so much from Jesus in particular about reshaping and recreating our sense of humanity from the perspective of family and from the perspective of who do we treat as our family, not just who do we treat as our neighbor, but who do we treat as our family and who can we include in that. And, you know, spoiler alert, it turns out to be a much bigger circle than we might otherwise assume that we can draw on our own. That is so right. That is so right. And I think that what you just mentioned about our family being so much bigger than what we think it is, that circle being so much bigger, I think that ties right back into what I'm trying to do at The Advocate and in my own general writing ministry is understanding that our readers we're all at the Thanksgiving table together. You know, the people on one side of the spectrum and the people on the other, we're all family and we're having a family squabble. You know, we're all brothers and sisters in this together. And so how can we just talk together? You know, knowing that it's not an us against them thing. It's, it's a, we're the people of God and how are we gonna navigate this? And how are we gonna do it in a loving manner? And do it in a way that glorifies God at the end of the day whatever that looks like. That's that's heavy. <laughs> it's okay to take a brief pause every once in a while and just let <laughs> that settle in. Brian, do you have any other questions? I guess my next question for you is, is really what style of writing is your favorite to produce for yourself? My favorite thing to write is fiction. I grew up I have to say, you know, at the risk of being, as my husband has nicknamed me, Jessica Overshare, I grew up with a really chaotic family life. 
I moved around a lot, child of divorce, you know, just a lot of trauma in my life as a kid. And, you know, there's a lot of mental illness in my family. And so for me, books and school were my my refuge. And, you know, later it became the church. But when I was a kid, you know, books and school, that was all I had. And so invariably, you'd find me sitting in a tree after school with my nose in a book. I was a latchkey kid. And that was where I went to escape. That's where I went to hope. That's, that's what gave me the understanding that there was more out there for me. And I wasn't defined by my present situation. And so for me, that has always been so wonderful. And that's what I love to do more than anything. You know, while I'm a journalist, and I think it's really important as a fundamental part of our free society in America, and I think it's so important that we always tell those stories and have free speech and have a free press and all of that. I think at the end of the day, what I want to read is fiction, what I want to write is fiction, or even narrative nonfiction, something that tells a story in a way that focuses on the human element in each of us. And that has always grabbed my soul in a way nothing else can. As far as fiction, what I love to read is, is usually contemporary stuff. I like literature. I love Jane Austen and Hemingway and all of that. I also really like sci-fi. In fact, I did my master's thesis on <laughs> dystopian fiction, which is uh, like speculative or, you know, you know, it's the end of the world. There are only a handful of people left. What kind of society do they create? You know, that kind of thing. I, I just, I think that's just so fascinating to, you know, how do, how do people look at the world and what are they going to do and how are they going to survive with what they have left? Survival stories are so fun. Um, whether that's survival, like you're in the wilderness, you know, on a, a mountaintop in, you know, Alaska, or whether you're trying to survive the inner city, you know, in, in, the in California or something like that. You know, so any kind of survival story, I just love. I love to write about those for the advocate. I, I One story that I'll be writing soon is a woman who's going through cancer right now and she's just embracing joy in the center of it. You know, it's, her, it's how she's surviving, you know? I mean, the life that we have here, it ends. Our earthly life will end, but we know we have an eternity in heaven. And so how we choose to survive here on earth plays into how we end up eternally. You know, the kind of, I, I think they have eternal repercussions, obviously, and, and the people and relationships we build here, I think, stay with us. And, and you know, the Holy Spirit is present in all of this, and it's pretty beautiful. So I love all of those stories. Those are my favorite. That's a lot of stories. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm a big dork. <laughs> Yeah, I just read Fahrenheit 451 for the first time. I, I love that. I read something like a 20th anniversary edition, or, or, or I picked it up somewhere, and, and it was just sort of a recent iteration that also included just a bunch of essays exploring the impact of the book and its theme. And, you know, they really kind of got into that theme of both survival and also, you know, not just survival, but what does it really mean to thrive on the other side of survival? Because so many of those questions ask us to really explore, you know, our understanding of human nature, our sense of who we are individually and as a group and as a community, uh, as well as how malleable we are, how much yeah. we can stretch and adapt uh, and overcome. You're right. Oh, that's a great book. That's excellent. 
I mean, there are so many. Fiction really does, and this is one thing, you know, there is journalism, nonfiction, devotionals, fiction, they all have so much in common. You know, they're just different styles, um, different topics, different, you know, different means of the same thing. And, um, but, you know, what we read and what we write can definitely effect change. I mean, think about Uncle Tom's Cabin and the change that it brought about, you know? So, I mean, there are so many, and Fahrenheit 451, you know, that also was a change agent. So pretty exciting. It really, really is. So as we wind down, there's a question we ask people every week to close, but before we do that, where can people find you if they wanted to look up your writing or look you up on Twitter or any of the social media various kinds of platforms. Absolutely. Well, um, my website is jessicabrody.com and you can find links to everything there. I'm, I'm on most every social media from Pinterest and uh, LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and everything. My uh, social media is at Jessica J. Brody and I'm on Facebook at author Jessica J. Brody. And then I have a YouTube channel that's youtube.com slash Jessica J. Brody. But if you go to jessicabrody.com, you'll find everything. It'll get you everywhere. Um, The Advocates website is advocatesc.org if you're interested. And it's a, it's a great paper and you can, um, you can also find a link to the advocate on my personal webpage as well. Awesome. Very cool. Well, the question we try to ask everybody each week is we really like to end on a positive note, uh, though I think this conversation has been pretty positive, but what is bringing you joy right now? A lot. (laughs) What's bringing me joy? Everything from my new kitten, Leia. Uh, I'm a Star Wars fan, so she's named after Princess Leia. She is amazing. Uh, Nature, I'm a a real nature fan, and this time of year is so great. And my husband bought a Jeep, so we've been, you know, bicycling and taking the Jeep out, and and that's been really great. And doing things like yoga and walking outside in the neighborhood before I get to work every day. You know, I usually, I read the Bible and then I go for a walk in the neighborhood. And that is just, that just centers me for the whole day. I mean, that just, it's great. And then you get all the endorphins from being outside and moving your body and, you know, the, just the trees all around you. And then, you know, it's, then you just jump into the work that you're doing and every new day is an adventure. John, uh, for me, I'm going to say, uh, uh, just uh, yesterday, I spent my afternoon making a video of our sanctuary, like remodel in as it's been going. So every day I've gone in and taken a picture of like all the progress and things like that. Uh, and so I posted a video yesterday and people's kind of uh, reaction to our remodel and its process have been uh, really affirming and it's given me a lot of joy. That's really cool. I have to say that I'm really with you, Jessica, on the, you know, the getting out in nature thing and having the tools to do that. And so my source of joy, I know I probably shouldn't pin all my joy on like material possessions, Mm -hmm. but this week I finally took the step of buying a pack frame to start section hiking the AT. So, you know, I'm really, really excited about this. I've been, I've been trying not so secretly to get like a full through hike together 
for years and you know the question is always like when am i ever going to have six months to take off mm-hmm. and it, we i just kind of it hit the point where it was like okay if i'm actually gonna do this i might have to bite the bullet and do it in sections rather than just mm-hmm. hoping that sometime in the next 40 years i'll have six months to spare and you know take a sabbatical man do it yes do it <laughs> well i might section hike and then through hike or who knows or i could do a big section you know like a half section at some point but the point is is i've finally like gotten it together and i'm like ready i'm buying the equipment now i'm looking at dates for next year it is becoming concrete in a way it has not before. And so that just that planning process uh, and the excitement of looking forward to that and the excitement of looking forward to being in extreme amounts of pain because I've been walking for 20 miles uh, in the middle of nowhere with just nature all around me, eerily silent. This doesn't sound very appealing, does it? But I'm so excited to have that experience. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening. This has been Logos-ish. We will be back again this week with a bonus episode. So stay tuned for that. And, you know, we look forward so much to hearing from you guys on the email, on Twitter, Instagram, and all the other places that we're posted at. So take it easy and have fun. Hey guys, this is John again. Thanks for listening to another great episode of Logos-ish. This week's music was by Audionautics.com. If you have any questions or thoughts, or if you'd like to have your music featured on this podcast, be a guest on the podcast, or suggest a topic for us to cover, send us an email to logosishpod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at logosishpod. Please like, subscribe, and review wherever you downloaded this podcast. That helps us get the word out about all the cool stuff we're working on, and we'd love to hear your feedback as well. Have a great week.